really is. Um, I want to pray, Father, that you'll be made huge today. One already incredible worship and the opportunity we have to make a difference in the lives of people around the world and, and throw seeds of the gospel, Father, through um, feeding them and, and wells and all those different things. Father, continue to remind us, uh, Father, that is in service and in ministry that we often earn the trust of folks and the right and the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, you, um, you have taken this service, this really this message, in a little bit different route than I thought, and I'm excited about that. I pray, Father, that you will genuinely speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we sometimes sing about you, and we sing that, that you would just electrify, that you would fill the presence. Your presence might fill the room today, and that's what I'm asking because I know it's the Holy Spirit that, that draws men, women, and children to the Father. I know it's the Holy Spirit that can speak to the hearts of believers, and I also know it's the Holy Spirit uh, that fills and anoints the speaker. So we're excited about your presence, and we invite you to come. And then at the same time, I just want to pray, Father, against any presence here, Father, of the, of the evil one, of Satan. We pray that that would be bound away from here and that this truly would be holy ground. So thank you, God, again for this opportunity. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. We are so glad that you are here at Dorsville Baptist Church. We know there's a lot of places you could go to church and you came here and we're very excited. And never say this, but you know, y'all understand that we're on the radio this morning. We have a listening audience out there and we are glad that they have joined us also. Well, you know what? I, I guess maybe, I don't know. I didn't mean to, but I think I've, I've acquired a unnatural affection for this sermon series. Um, you know, we've been in Scar Wars since Bible school, you know, it's gone on and on. And I found a way to extend it one more week. This is going to be the last one. I told Dave, when we show the video this final time, let's use not the calm version, but the real dun, 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 dun. And then it turned out not to be the last time. So you get one more time next week to hear the video, and, and we get to extend this one more time, this thing the pastor apparently is deeply in love with. And you know, we, we started this. It's kind of hard to remember now, but remember the initial uh, series was all about the battle of good and evil. We went all the way back to talk about God and talked about Satan, and, and God never had an origin, but how Satan did, how he was created. And, and then we talked about the fall of man, and well, just I mean, we talked about the battle of good and evil. We talked about the word of God. Then we went to the armor of God and talked about the word again. We talked about prayer. We talked about our righteousness. All these different things. And last week we spent a whole time on prayer, talking about that seventh piece of the armor. And lo and behold, uh, really quite unintentionally, I find myself once again having the privilege of teaching you about prayer. Now, the sermon title today is V-E Day, V-E Day. And let me get my date right. You know, you shouldn't mess this up. Oh, yeah. On May the 8th, 1945, something happened. Now, how many of you are 71 years old or older? Just raise your hands. 71. Okay. Now, thank you very much. It's often easy when we talk about things that happened 71 years ago as ancient history. But keep in mind, we had about 45 or 50 people raise their hands and say, hey, it's not ancient history to me. I was alive then. And on December the 7th, 1941, 
our country was plunged into what was going to be called World War II. And it literally was. The whole world, it seemed, was engulfed in combat, really divided along two sides, the, the Allied forces and the Axis powers. And now check this out. For three and a half years, once America joined the war, now England had been in a long time before that, but America joined the war uh, after the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 1941. And for, now think about this. Three and a half years. Three Christmases, four Easter's, four Fourth of July's. It went on and on and on. And thousands of, of men and women signed up and went and fought. And did not, and so many did not come back home. It, the casualties, the Allied casualties, of course, were just huge were just huge. And the economic cost, I'm not sure, can be calculated. All this went on for three and a half years. And finally, on May the 8th, 1945, after uh, Hitler committed suicide, uh, literally the, the Axis powers had, had just imploded in Europe, they surrendered. They surrendered. And that day is celebrated and called V.E. Day. And this is a picture uh, of that occasion in Times uh, Time Square. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people around in Times Square, but also around the nation. Prayer meetings were held. Bells pilled. Uh, the radio had gone just crazy. Announcing the news that the war in Europe was over. There was victory in Europe. Huge, huge day. There is a larger day. I almost said huger, but I resisted the temptation. There is a larger day than that. And that's a day really that's coming in the future. And it's victory in eternity day. Again, with the idea of scar wars, wars have a conclusion. And there's a conclusion coming to this thing called Scar Wars, this, this battle between good and evil, this, this spiritual thing that's so much bigger than we can ever imagine. There is a day of victory coming, but here's what we forget, that there are victories along the way. In the early days of World War II, that thing we now call ancient history, in the early days of that, there was a lot of dark days. I mean, America was so unprepared for war. And in the early days, it just seemed, could we really win this battle with Japan and, of course, with Germany? Could we win that? And then the tide began to turn. And victory after victory after victory came. The one we're probably most familiar with, because your pastor talks about at least once a year, is D-Day, June 6, 1944. And that was just a huge victory at great cost, but a huge victory. But it wasn't the end of the war. And I want you to understand that you really need, and we'll nail this down next week, um, but you really need to understand that the outcome of Scar Wars is not in doubt. God wins. And because God wins, we also win. We are not hoping for a victory. We are assured of victory. That is coming in the future. But every day there are battles that are fought and won Often, now listen, often that we do not see. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I chose Daniel chapter 10 
starting in verse number 12. And that's kind of how we got started on this kick of prayer today that I really hadn't planned on. But there's a teaching at the end that I find quite amazing. But also there's another teaching about how we pray in these battlefield days. Keeping in mind that the greatest effect of prayer is not really what we see. There are battles going on for the souls of men. You know, I brought my little thing up. You know, this is why I, well, I just love World Hunger Day. Um, it's just one of the things we've adopted. If you're new to Dorisville, you're probably learning what kind of church we are. But we really, you know, the secret sauce of Dorisville is ministry, service, and missions. That's really what makes us unique as a church. It, it, it holds us together. It strengthens who we are. And our kids gave out about 100, I think 98 of these. You might say, what exactly am I supposed to do with this? You know, you're saying, um, is this for like when I get hungry at work? Can I sneak down and get one? Well, I'm glad to tell you that all 98 are gone. And no, what happens is this. Have you ever pulled up to a an intersection and a man or a woman is there with a little cardboard sign and says hungry will work for food and often we feel guilt because frankly that's become an industry we just don't know which ones really have a need and which ones show up every day they they park their car a couple blocks away and show up on the corner and we don't know that and this is a wonderful tool that helps you in that decision so because in here is basically a meal And you can roll your window down and hand this to that person and say, hey, here you go. I want to help you today. And yes, you can throw a couple of bucks in there if you want to. So you can buy a soda or something. There is a drink included. But you can throw a couple of bucks in there and you could, you know, you could do it that way. So this is a great tool. Place in your car. And then when you cross someone with that cardboard sign, you've got an answer for them to help them. And listen, we never know what God's going to do. We don't know if this may be an answer to that person's prayer. We don't know if that person is skeptical of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, yeah, this has the, this has a scripture in it. It has uh, the gospel in it. We don't know that God might use this to turn a person's life around. Because remember, the battles are always bigger than we think they are. There's more going on in the unseen than there is in the seen. So use this tool and understand we've got to be prayer warriors today because there's more going on in the unseen than in the seen. Often we don't see the massive effect of our prayer. Sometimes we do, but we don't understand the massive effect, the eternal effect of our prayers always. So we had this guy named Daniel. And you might say, who in the world is Daniel? And if you're raised in Sunday school, you, you probably know who Daniel is, kind of, sort of. He was an Old Testament, Testament guy. And when he was about 14, could have been 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, he was hauled off. The whole nation of Israel was defeated. And as a judgment of God, they were sent to Babylon for 70 years. Someone say 70 years. Now, that's not a short time. That's a long time, a long time. As a matter of fact, about the same amount of time since we just talked about the end of World War II. So 70 years 
happens. And so he's there, and there's the first six chapters of Daniel, which is a book in the Old Testament, is just filled with these wonderfully cool stories about Daniel. And then starting in chapter 7, you know, God starts speaking to him and, and sends like angels his way and he has visions. And so cool because of all the Old Testament books, really, Daniel connects with the New Testament more than any other book. A lot of this stuff is about what happens in the end of time. You'll see a direct correlation in the teachings of Jesus, but also you'll see it in the book of the Revelation. And we'll go there next week and you'll be able to see some of the connections there. So Daniel was this guy who lived during this Babylonian captivity. He was um, selected for public service. He attained great power. And I guess you could say a, a sense of wealth as, you know, under very, I think he saw four different rulers in his 70 years there. So basically, all of Daniel's life was spent in captivity. But during all that time, he remained true to the living God. And what we have today is a snapshot, a picture of his prayer walk um, with God while he was in captivity. And it really is quite an interesting story. So we want to start... In Daniel chapter 10 and verse number 12. All right, that's where we're going to start today. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background. In the earlier part of chapter 10, okay, God's been speaking to his heart, but basically Daniel just goes into this time, this sense of great contrition. And, and he uses the word mourning. And he starts fasting and praying that he might know God's will and what God is doing and what God is going to do. And what we have in verse number 12 is we have an angel showing up, an angel showing up to an answer to Daniel's prayer. Now, I know, I know, listen, I need to tell you up front, you know, well, first, let me tell you this. Two things happen today that's just too weird not to mention. So I walk in the building this morning and they're finishing up their little gig up here practicing and I walk over here, and Mama T said something like, it's going to be a blessed day today, you know. And I said, well, how come? She goes, let me show you. And so she starts flipping through her phone. And eventually she finds this picture. And as she's walking into the building, she looks up, and, and there in the sky is this beautiful white cross. And we know that, that somehow or another, two planes have crossed, and, but there's this beautiful white cross. Now, don't make any more of that than that. But it was cool because, you know, Mama T said, look, isn't this cool? And you know what? It was. That God at least spoke to her heart and said it's going to be a blessed day. That's cool. So then Jonah Reynolds grabs me at the back of the church. Two separate total stories. That's why I say it's too, too weird not to mention. He goes, let me show you what's out at my place, what I took a picture of. And I'm telling you, you need to just, everybody mob Jonah Reynolds after church. Okay. Because he has this tree. Now, again, don't make any more of this than that. People take this stuff and go, oh, oh, I saw a cross in the sky. It means this. No, it means there's a cross in the sky and God blessed you. And you say, thank you, God, for the cross. Well, in Jonah's picture, there's a tree. And I'm, I'm just telling you the truth because I'm going, Jonah, you're kidding me. You didn't doctor this. He has a tree at his house and it's kind of rotted out. And he was, I can't mow in the grass. And from the distance he was and where he took the picture, it looks exactly like Jesus Christ is sitting in this tree. Don't make me any more of it than that. It looks like Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't show up and sit in his tree. 
But it was really cool, though, because he said, oh, my goodness, that looks like Jesus. And he snapped a picture. It was just cool. It was just cool. It was just a reminder to him, yes, Lord, you are real. And guess what? I looked at the picture and thought the same thing. So it's really cool. Listen, it's not how God shows up in your life that matters. It's the fact that he shows up. I, I am convinced if we'll look a little harder, we don't have to look hard to see God everywhere in our lives. You know, little blessings, little, little things that God does. And he says, and it's like he sends us love notes and says, I love you. And, and, you know, in that Lord's Prayer when he said, you know, lead me away from temptation and protect me from the evil one. If we'll look, there's areas everywhere that God shows up. So it's not how he shows up. You may never have an angel. That's okay. You just need to know this. God shows up. Amen? God shows up. Well, in Daniel's case, he prays this prayer and an angel shows up sure as tootin'. So here's what happens. In verse 10, verse 12, uh, Daniel 10, verse 12, the angel starts out talking, and don't miss any of this. His first words were, don't be afraid, Daniel. Don't be afraid, Daniel. You know, when an angel shows up, it could be just a little bit frightening. You know, it's kind of like when the preacher shows up at your house, it can be a little frightening, okay? Well, when an angel shows up, it could be a little frightening. But here's the deal. Ever since sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3, Men and women have been just wrapped in fear. Just wrapped in fear. And the great message of the gospel, one, one of the great messages of the gospel is that we no longer have to be afraid. I love 2 Timothy 1.7 where the word of God says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I love that because so often a, a dear friend called me this week and was talking about something she was facing. And she said, Dwayne, I'm so afraid. I'm so glad that we don't have to be wrapped in fear because we serve the God of the universe. We serve the God who spoke and it is. We serve the God who is the ultimate winter, winner in the end. We serve the God who overcame sin, death, and the grave. We serve an amazing, powerful God. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. So in this case, the angel says, hey, Daniel, don't be afraid. Now watch this. This is so good. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day, someone say first day. I want you to remember this. For from the first day that you purposed, you determined, you made a decision to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard. From the first day that you purposed in your heart to pray, and from the first day that you humbled yourself before God, your prayers were heard. Now, again, understanding that there may not be a messenger, an angel show up every time you pray, and is going to speak to you in your closet, wherever you pray, and go, hey, okay, understanding that, I want you to grab and take hold of the fact that when we pray in a humble, broken way, our prayers are heard. Let me say that again. When we pray in a humble, broken way, our prayers are heard. 
we wrestle with this thing called prayer. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, later in the New Testament when he wrote his epistle, you know, taught us about this. Listen to two verses and how different they are, both taken from the book of James. The first one is James chapter 4 and verse number 3. Here's what we read. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Let me read that again. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, there's a real tendency in prayer for us to pray specific, and I hate to use a harsh word, but I will, often selfish prayers. God, this is what I want. It doesn't really matter what you want. This is what I want. And the result often of that kind of a prayer life is nothing. Nothing happens. Okay, now there's a lot of words that we could use to describe James 4.3, what kind of prayer that is, but it could be a very prideful prayer. It could be a very prideful prayer, and prideful prayer doesn't work. Someone say amen. Yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't. You know it doesn't, because right now in your brain, you're arguing with me first, but then secondly, you're going, well, you know what? I prayed. You're right. I prayed this prayer, and I wanted it to happen because I wanted it to happen. And, and, you know, basically I was telling God what he ought to do. Sounds pretty prideful to me. Hey, maybe Dwayne's right. Maybe prideful prayer is a prayer life that doesn't yield much. But then we had this contrast with the book of James, and that's James five sixteen, the second part. Here's what it says. The effective... Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let me say it again. The effective, fervent, or passionate prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, let me contrast that for you because you say, teacher, that doesn't include the word humility. No, but I promise you this. When the Bible describes a righteous man, it goes beyond the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that we gain with our salvation to a man who lives righteously. And a man who, or woman who lives righteously will live humbly depending on God. They will depend on God. So we have this two contrasts. We have a, perhaps a prideful prayer life. Doesn't yield much. And yet James, the half-brother of Jesus says, wait a minute, when a righteous man prays, it avails a whole lot. How cool is that? So Daniel, way back in Daniel 10, 12 now says, the angels are saying, he said, hey, from, from the first day, from the first day, from day one, when you got on your face before God and you prayed, okay, from the first day, you know what? When you purpose to understand and to humble yourself for God, your prayers were heard. How about that. There is a prayer life that is effective and powerful, but it always lines up with two things, God's will and our dependence on him. God's will and our dependence on him. And then, then this angel guy says, I have come because of your prayers. Now you have to admit that'd be pretty impressive. So Daniel's like, you know, doing all this stuff. And the angel shows up and say, hey, from the first day, from the first day. Now, by the way, that very significantly comes up again in verse number 13. Okay, just hang on to that. From the first day, you know, when you purposed and you humbled yourself before God, your prayers were heard. And I am here for one reason, and that's because of your prayers. Because of your prayers. Now, 
you might want to go, I've already talked about it a little bit, but more specifically now, what does that kind of prayer look like? What kind of prayer does a prayer of humility and dependence on God look like? That's a really good question. If, if in fact, a humble and broken prayer life is one that God hears and there's results, we kind of want to know, what does that look like? Well, if you look in Daniel in chapter 10, up a little bit, it kind of gives the, the background story to verse number 12. And here's what it says. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. And by the way, remember that too. Remember that, three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no pecan pie, no fried chicken. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks. How many? Three. How many days? 21. Three, three times seven is 21. Okay? So, so we had him mourning for three days. For three full weeks, he ate nothing. Keep that stored away in your mind. So, so it sounds to me like that when, when Daniel purposed in his mind to humbly pray... It involved a broken, contrite spirit. Now, let me read to you. I know this is kind of weird today, but that's okay. Because I'm getting older, and I get weirder as I get older. All right, here we go. Listen to this. For This is David after his sin with Bathsheba. He's talking to God about it. For you do not desire sacrifice. In other words, if a religious act would do it, I would do it. But that won't do it, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. If that would do it, I would do it. A broken and a contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. So apparently, whatever kind of prayer gets the attention of God, it's a prayer when there's a brokenness in our lives and there's a basic feeling of, hey, God, I can't do it. If it's going to get done, you got to do it. Okay? There's a brokenness, and hey, God, if it's going to get done, you've got to do it. Now, back in chapter 9, and this is separated by several years, but it just confirms the kind of man Daniel was. In chapter 9, there's a more specific prayer when Daniel was praying, and I want you to go back to Daniel chapter 9, and let's just kind of take a look at this. We'll start reading in verse number 3. Verse number three of Daniel chapter nine. This is much more specific and gives us a picture of that humble, dependent prayer life that God hears and yields results. Here's what happens. In Daniel 9, three, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer. I set my face. You know, there's a wonderful scripture over in the New Testament where the Bible says that, that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he is um, weeks away from the crucifixion and he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, there's nothing that's going to happen that will keep him away from Jerusalem. There's no, there's no party. There's no meeting more important. He has set his face for his ultimate goal and that is to go to Jerusalem to die. To die. So Daniel, likewise, using the same language, says this. I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer. 
In other words, Daniel says, the most important thing for me right now is to pray. The most important thing for me to pray. More important than school activities, more important than your job, more important than your career goals, more important than your finances. The most important thing I can do, Daniel says at this point, is to pray. May I propose to you that there are certainly times and perhaps all the time that this should be our focus. When we understand that our granddaughter's life, eternal life, hangs in the balance, what else is more important than seeing her trust Jesus? When we understand that people we love are serving on the mission field in often dangerous situations, what could be more important than focusing on asking God to bless their safety and their ministry? If you start analyzing it that way, all of a sudden you start understanding that, listen, there are things that are important, but when we consider what's hanging in the balance, what goes on beyond where we can see, we all of a sudden start realizing, is there anything more important than what we do? So Daniel set his face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You can tell. Remember the Oldsmobile commercial? This is not your grandma's Oldsmobile. This is not God is great, God is good. I want to thank him for our food. This is not now I lay myself, now I lay my head down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Those are fine prayers for children. But this is serious prayer. And when you consider what might be hanging in the balance in your family, in our country, and in this world, you understand that that's going to take serious prayer. And Daniel was willing to make that commitment to serious prayer. So much so that he fasted. How unbaptist. He fasted. He wore sackcloth, which was a rough, coarse material that they wore next to their body to constantly remind them of what's going on in their lives. And, of course, the ashes. He would mark his face as a sign of his contrition and his brokenness. And I prayed to the Lord my God. Now, let me tell you what's significant about that. Again, in chapter 6, it's just a, a cool story Darius was the emperor, and everybody's jealous of Daniel because Darius likes Daniel. And so these guys go to, Dan, to Darius and go to the king and go, Hey, we think you're awesome, dude. You're, there's not a king like you anywhere. You're awesome. And Darius is going, I know. And he goes, How about this? Why don't we make a law? That no one can pray to any other God. We'll just promote you to God's status. And they can only pray to you. And Darius goes, now that's flattering. That's good. So he makes this decree. And the only problem is Daniel. Because Daniel sold out to God. And well, let me just read it to you. This is Daniel 6.10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, saying you can only pray to Darius, Darius, He went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to his God just as he did before. Daniel was such a man of God because he prayed all the time. You know, it wasn't a crisis prayer life. It wasn't even, it's Christmas morning and I got what I wanted prayer life. 
Daniel made prayer a priority in his life. We just had a service for a lady named Marquita who did that in her life. So Daniel said, you know, I I had all this sackcloth and ashes and fasting going on. I'm praying and supplications. And I made prayer to my God because that's just what I do. Let it be said of us that we become such prayer warriors. It's just what we do. And then he made confession. He got down and dirty with God. He came clean. And the word confession there means to shoot or to cast. In other words, he aimed at a specific target in his prayer. And here's what he prayed. Oh, Lord, great and awesome God. Pause. We should worship in our prayer life. Amen? We should worship in our prayer life. I'm I'm getting impressed with the fact that we get to talk to the God of creation. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of thrill talking to Muhammad. There's not a thrill talking about Buddha or those other animistic animals, that animistic religions that the Africans all have. Not a lot of thrill in that. But when we come on our knees in prayer as believers, we get to talk to God. That's better than talking to President Obama. Pretty cool. Just saying pretty cool. He came with a confession and said, Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Now, there were certain unconditional covenants. The one that Abraham made, uh, God made with Abraham was unconditional. The one that, that he made with David and said, a, a, an ancestor of yours will sit on the throne forever. Unconditional. But when the children of Israel were going into the promised land, there were conditional prom- covenants made. And it said this, if you'll obey me and follow me, I will bless you. That was made to Israel. So it was a conditional promise made. So, so Daniel quotes that and says, look, we're in captivity for 70 years and not because we're here on vacation. We're, we're in captivity because we disobeyed you. So, so, Lord, I acknowledge the fact that you're an awesome God who keeps his, his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And then he says this. We have sinned. Isn't that awesome? I mean, got blunt, honest with God. When's the last time you got blunt, honest with God? Because if you pray like me, you pray like me. I, I know there's something like between God and me. And the first thing I want to do is go, now, God, you know. Now, God, you understand. But God, but God, you know, God, hey, God. Daniel didn't. He just simply said, okay, God, here it is. We have sinned. And the word there means to miss the mark. Hey, God, here's the target, and I'm telling you, we have missed it. And by the way, at this point, Daniel is walking straight. The nation's not. I love the way he throws himself in the pot. He says, we, even though, again, he's living a pretty godly life. Kind of like, you know, kind of like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. So he says, he says that, Lord, we have sinned, and verse 5, and committed iniquity. That means to bend, to twist, and to store. We have taken your word, does this sound familiar, and bent it and twisted it to meet our needs. Reckon that occurs today? Think that occurs in the pulpits of America? 
You think that occurs in the lives of believers in America? Yes, it does. We have sinned and we have twisted your word to make it say what we want it to say. He goes on and says this. He says that, that we have done wickedly. We have done wickedly. You know, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Grant. That's, y'all are good this morning. Why did they call the wicked witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz the wicked witch of the West? She was from the West and she was wicked. All right, I told you what, what sin means and iniquity means. I'm going to tell you what wicked means. Wickedly. To be wicked. That's it. Who's buried in Grant's tomb? Grant. Why is the wicked witch of the West the wicked witch? Because she did wicked. Why is the word of God, what does it mean when it says we have done wickedly? It says we have been wicked. We've got to come honest with God and say, God, there's some shortcomings in my life. We've got to be willing. You've got to remember God already knows. You can hide it from your wife. You can hide it from your husband. You can hide it from your kids and kids. You can hide it from your parents. But you can't hide it from God. We have done wickedly. And we've rebelled, and we've even departed from your precepts and your judgments. Just like it said in the covenant promise. We have disobeyed your word. In fact, he goes a step further and says this. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your, in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and all the people of the land. Daniel praying for the people, but again, throwing himself in the pot. says, we've sinned, we've done iniquity, we've rebelled, we've done wicked things. We've ignored your word. And when you sent messengers, all we could think about was, I wonder how many people are going to be in Kentucky Fried Chicken when he gets done. I mean, do you understand how serious what we do here on Sunday is? David, you get, you get double mentioned two weeks in a row. Do you understand not the fact that David leads worship, Don't go there with that. I'm telling you, these songs we sing, the scriptures we read, as we worship God, do you understand how massively important that is? Do you understand that every one of us are participants in the worship of the Creator God? That is so huge. So huge. And again, whether it's here or another church or whoever leads the worship, in fact, whoever preaches, doesn't matter. That we are worshiping the one true how big and how powerful is that? And then as the word is presented, again, whether it's me or someone else, what are we going to do with that word? So you came and we ignored you, the words you gave to our kings and our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Wow. So have you figured out yet yeah, I'm trying to teach you and teach me how important prayer is? How, how important it is that we get serious because of what might be hanging in the mouths. Things that we can't even see. Prayer is more about what we can't see than it is what we see. Because there are battles. Listen, there are battles. There are battles. There are battles going on beyond our eyesight that we are not aware of. That the cosmic war between good and evil, between God and Satan, between the angels of good and the angels of evil is real and is occurring all around us. 
These are serious times. Serious times. Preacher, do you have any backup? I mean, those are some big words you just whooped on us about this cosmic battle stuff. It's kind of like Star Wars to me. Are you trying, Dwayne, to do the Star Wars thing? Yeah. But it's true. Look at verse 13. This, I found, this is just an incredible scripture. Not taken out of context, not twisting it. Just let the scripture stand for what it says. After 12, here's 13. The angel speaking. Remember the angel from 12 who said, I'm here because of your prayers. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Now, again, you can see in the context when he talks about Michael as the chief, one of the chief princes in that same verse, that the prince is not a prince. It's an angel. And Persia represents what is evil. You can see that. I don't have to twist that out anyway. So this, this angelic being that we don't have his name says you need to know something. That the prince of Persia, the evil one, one of the evil demons, has opposed me. For how long? How many? Isn't that interesting? How long did Daniel and Daniel 10 fast and pray? 21 days. 21 days. And the angel shows up and says, you know, for three weeks your prayers have been heard for for, for 21 days. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wild? And isn't it just somewhere beyond wow that there's an angelic battle going on that God sent this angel, whatever his name, sent this angel not to be an answer to prayer, really more than just to share a message with Daniel, to speak to him. And the message was delayed for 21 days. Now, Dwayne, <laughs> yes, does that mean that every time my prayers I answer right away, there's a devil involved? I uh, know. But it does mean this. It means that when there's a delay, there's a reason. And it might well be God's timing. It may be God just simply saying, not now. It may be bigger than that. But you need to understand when we pray in a humble, broken way, when we announce our dependence on God, and we pray in humility in God's will, if the answer doesn't come right away, there's a reason for that. And that's where we trust the Father. Because God is sovereign. Come on now. God is sovereign. He's in control. He's got this. Just allow his time for him to act. I bet somewhere in there is the sovereignty of God in that 21 days. Maybe somewhere right in there. But here's what's cool. Yes. So was, was the outcome in doubt? So what if the prince of Persia, bad angel, defeated this unnamed good angel? I mean, what if? Oh, no, 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 no. Because you look, then Michael, one of the chief princes, read Archangel, after I came to help me, after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. 
In other words, all the unknown, unnamed angel at being held up for 21 days, all he did was call in the Calvary. And he didn't have to call in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He just called in one of Jesus' chief servants named Michael, the archangel, and he and this unknown angel just took care of this dude. Oh, come on, y'all. Now, I ain't twisting. I mean, it's plain on the pages. I just think it's incredibly awesome that, one, this is going on in a world that we can't see, and God is the ultimate victor. And ain't nothing the devil can do about it. Nothing. Nothing the devil can do about it. Remember that short sermon I told you about? It almost happened. I told David, I said, David, don't rush the service because I really think this is going to be short. Er. <laughs> so what do we do with this? Well, if you're here today, and I, I believe in divine appointments, I think God brings people to church for specific reasons, you know. Maybe you're here today to hear this little snippet of the, of the message, and that is this. Prayer involves a relationship. Children of God had the right to talk to the Father. And today, God is inviting you to become one of his children. And it doesn't happen by being a Baptist or quitting this or starting that or getting dunked in some water. It has to do by faith. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to a Roman cross and shed his blood. He was the propitiation. He was the atonement for our sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So today... If you've never trusted Christ, not become a Baptist, not start going to church, not be a better person, not stop or start habits. If today you'd be willing to put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did and willing to turn from your sin, that's called repentance, and follow Jesus. Become a Christ follower. Become a disciple. If you're willing to do that today, then you can have forgiveness of your sins. And God invites you in. Again, it doesn't care if you're black, white, green, or yellow, rich, or poor. He literally invites. But prayer begins with a relationship. And it's really crazy. It's beyond my imagination. But the God of the universe wants to call you and make you his child. Wow. Pretty cool. Amen? Pretty cool. It continues with an awareness. It's an awareness of what's really going on and trusting God for what's going on. It's an awareness of perhaps a person you're praying for where they are. I love when Nan said that we're not here to cast stones with people that we see on the street corners. We don't know what's going on in people's lives. But there's an awareness that when God is working and moving and we are his hands and his feet. And yes, that involves brokenness. A humility and dependence on God. I love that song David sings. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. So there's something going on. There's something going on. It's bigger than you can imagine. And sometimes and often, it is beyond the realm of our ability to see. There's battles going on. And we have the privilege, like Daniel to be a part of that battle, often by praying with a spirit of brokenness and humility and dependence on God. So if God's calling you today to be his child and you sense that something, you can't put your thumb on it. You go, but you just feel this, I need, 
I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I need to turn from my sin and follow Christ. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And I know there's a few people here this morning, and you kind of go, I don't want to do that. Well, we just want to talk with you. And it's probably a good time to do that. So Brent will be standing down front. We would love to share with you about Jesus and how you can become a child of God by putting your faith and trust in him. You may want to pray today in this time of decision for an awareness of what's going on around you. Awareness that it might be bigger. Again, you may sense something one day and just say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I need you right now. Or Joe needs you right now. And maybe it's an awareness of the environment around you spiritually and what God might be trying to do in your situation. And maybe today, maybe today you go, you know what? I haven't been praying very broken. I haven't been praying very broken. And today I'm going to make a commitment, Jesus, that I'm going to pray in humility and brokenness and dependence on you. And that's the bottom line. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this. And, oh, I only hope, Father, that through the Holy Spirit it's been made clear and plain. I am overwhelmed today about how big this story is, that there are battles being fought where we cannot see. And, God, we're grateful that you're the ultimate victor. But, Father, you're letting us be a part of the battles that play out in our sphere in this part of the world. So, Father, I pray first that if there's someone here who's never trusted Christ, that today would be their day of salvation. I want to pray, Father, that you'll give us an awareness. Help this church, Father, to stay aware. Help us to keep serving. Help us to keep loving. Help us to keep going, Father, for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And, Father, help us. Dare I pray, break us where necessary, that we might pray in a humble, contrite way, leaning and depending on you. Holy Spirit, have your way in this invitation time. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.